Okay, we are live here at the Inappropriate Earl Podcast Studios, and uh, I may have the toughest guest to be on this podcast. I mean, arguably, Don Fry. Be a good fight between these two guys. Uh, The great star of The Mandalorian, star of Waco, star of Westworld, uh, UFC Mandalorian, UFC alumni. Dude, if you're going to talk, you got to speak into the mic. I'm telling this guy who could kill me what to do. <laughs> Folks, give it up for the amazing Tate Fletcher. I didn't know that I had to. I, he was waiting for me to grab the mic, and uh, I had no idea. I was trying to Instagram, you know? That's the same thing with my driving. Well, I mean, <clears throat> uh, you know, you can do what you want, frankly, because uh, uh, you're a big guy. You don't know your own strength. You, you I want to know right now before we get going, what do you think of this caveman coffee hibiscus tea? i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to uh, get it from the fridge. Keep talking. Just yeah, say all right. anything. Well, we just got this. I, I asked because we just launched this last week, and uh, it's phenomenal. I haven't been able to stop drinking them. They're fucking delicious. We get right to the plugs. So zero, zero caffeine. No plugs, baby. This is just lifestyle. I'm trying to put you up on game. Well, this is helping your company out because I've told you. Look at you. You've got brass knuckles for a microphone holder. This is my only sponsor of the Inappropriate Old Podcast. Uh, The singer from Rat, Stephen Piercy, has a company called Mike Knuckles. And uh, he he graciously uh, gave me a few pairs. Uh, Stephen Piercy of Rat, star of the new Geico commercial. You're buddies with all those guys, right? I'm only buddies with him, to be honest. What about Iron Maiden? Iron Maiden, I met Bruce Dickinson, the singer, once. And his kid's got a band, right? It's possible. I'm not a huge Maiden guy. Yeah. Uh, although I will say uh, they, they put on an amazing show for guys their age. Phenomenal, man. Uh, I, you know, I'm kissed. This, this TV is an, an amazing. You got me. Uh, I mean, we can't not TV. talk. We can't not talk about it. Uh, we also have an elliptical there so I can keep my beautiful body. Up. I just, this is what wealth looks like. I just haven't been around this before. No, this is not what wealth looks like. You know, wealth is a uh, I mean, gen- gen- generational wealth. From uh, basically the only royal family that America has ever known, right? I just took my first. Those are beautiful. Are those Ditas? Sip. Uh, yes, they are. Dita yeah, eyewear, are sparkling hibiscus. These also are Dita. Are we sponsored by Dita for this? I wish. These were $600 <laughs> frames. Cheap ones. Well, they are. Right. I know. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. They're expensive as fuck. You know, wealth is relative, I think. Okay. Like wealth. Like your relatives are wealthy? That well, Skankles have more money than the Kennedys. Let's, Is that right? Let's just get that. Are up. you guys from drug dealing also, or what? Where'd you guys get yours? It's a great story. Okay, because uh, it shows you the uh, the uh, intuitiveness of my grandfather, who I never met because he died in a plane crash. Um, my grandfather used to drive around in the Depression era by oil refineries. And he would notice they would throw away their waste. You know, it'd be the equivalent of is driving. John, are you telling me he's John Rockefeller? No, this is. Uh, is your grandpa John Rockefeller? Because that's his story, right? James Kennedy, uh, James uh, Skakel's dad, my dad's dad. Was he a Skakel also? My dad's dad, I hope so. I could be adopted, though. I was curious. Uh, he would, so he would go up to these oil refineries and go, hey. It's I- just because the Kennedys and the Skakel, I mean, they're. 
generationally very good looking people, but you're so good looking. It's just like, it makes me question whether you're really legitimately. I work at it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll show you upstairs later. I've nah, got I'm good. Moisturizers. Yeah, I don't need that. Uh, five or six hair so, pomades. So, so good without that. Thanks. I, I shave. But some people have to work at being good looking. Some don't. I wake up like this. But you're a great looking dude. Thanks. And, you know, uh, I have to, you know, work at it. Well, we all, I think, are fighting the good fight here. But I had a black friend of mine at the gym I used to work at. I have a hard time believing that. No, his name was Lenny. Hmm. I'll never forget. This guy had the most physically gifted body I've ever seen on a man. Didn't work out. Never lifted a weight. Yeah. Uh, he he looked like a junior over. You see that sometimes. Like guys that are just naturally gifted with just fucking you. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, I did three push-ups when I was 14. Yeah. This was Lenny. Yep. I mean, bicep peaks. This is crazy. We're looking at the protest right now. Yes, this is a audio-only podcast, but I always have the TV Yeah, we're on. just looking at the TV, though, too. Um, for you Instagram livers, we're watching the uh, riots. Uh, this is not the Stanley I mean, Cup Finals. It is so much going on right now. Elon Musk just fired a couple people up into space, and it's kind of pales in comparison to what's going on in the world right now. I don't even really think about that very much. I, I mean, it, we're living such different existences depending on who you are and what you look like. It's fucking wild. Some people are prospering. Others are, uh, you know. Dude, no, everybody's fucked. I mean, this is going to break everybody. This stuff right now, this hypnotism that people are doing with the masks, um, you know, we're quarantining healthy people when why do you quarantine healthy people that's insane but I and, mean, and so then you crush anybody that has a business and now you're saying right now like i've got some businesses that restaurants bars you can't but you you can't you can't keep your employees on you have to let your employees go and who has such a fat margin in their profits that they can go yeah we can keep uh 30% capacity and continue going. You're just going to, all these businesses that have been strong enough to hang on for the last two months with zero business, well, we're going to just strangle them to death over the next three months, this crazy reopening. And and so then you've got to go, okay, is the cure of this distancing way worse than what the PR firm that was behind COVID being the most dangerous thing we're ever going to see that just never turned out that way? What's going on? What's your take? Inst go ahead. Well, um, <laughs> Whose podcast is this? No, I like it when the guest talks more than I do. My take. I've never, uh, in my defense, I've never heard your podcast before. I, I don't blame you. And so I wouldn't know how it goes. I'm just, I was just, no, I'm, just I'm trying, I'm just trying to catch up with you. I'm I sorry. Pattern it I, I certainly don't mean to be, I defer to your greatness. I don't mean to. Listen, if I was great, uh, you know, I'd be in a podcast studio and like, I, I love this studio, dude. We're all at home right now. I pattern my podcast after Rogan's from the standpoint of, I love how he has guests of, uh, you know, he could just have UFC fighters on and, and, uh, athletes, but he has, you know, one day he'll have David Lee Roth on and then a scientist the next day. Mm -hmm. Uh, one day he'll have a friend on, uh, you know, Duncan Trussell or you. And then the next day somebody's never met before. Uh, so I try and have interesting, you think I could just have It's cool. I just think it's like, you know, I mean, the job is kind of, can you cultivate a conversation, right, that holds interest? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, the last two, uh, the last episode was about the Jeffrey Epstein uh, documentary. I only have seen the first, I think, two episodes of that. I mean, uh, you know, the guy was out of control, but then uh, the episode before that was about suicide and depression with a comic friend of mine and uh which was uh actually the the day before we did that uh an la comic committed suicide so uh 
you know, and now with you, I'm uh, crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, in the best of times, comics are, you know, uh, suicidal at times. Uh, so I can only imagine not having the ability to perform, which is a creative outlet for your sadness. Is, is and then and then also to not be able to connect. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't hug. You can't sit with people. I mean, yeah. I'm afraid to like, even when you came in, I was like, well, gee, I want to hug him because I love him. But like, uh, you know, you don't know what anybody's ethos is around it. Everybody's, you know, my mother's having a different experience than I am. She's very worried about it in ways that I don't find it to be a threat, but the ways that I do see it to be a threat, she doesn't see it to be. It. So it's, it's an interesting time because we're living in different realities simultaneously, which is a, it's a trip. It's a psychological trip right now. I mean, I'm 51, so that's around the age that was the sweet spot for this disease when it first started happening. And then it was like uh, younger people started getting it. So, and then older people were getting it. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, the, ag the, the aggregate though is late 70s, early 80s that have died. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the, the vast majority. I think if you're guys like you and me who are healthy and yeah, have no uh, predetermined, uh, you yeah, your chances are what is it, ninety nine point eight percent chance of surviving it? Yeah, it, it, I think if uh, you're an otherwise healthy human. But my sister's husband uh, has it, uh, but he has severe MS. And then why is it so bad too? I mean, you hear some people get it, and they're like, I I thought it was allergies, and it was gone in a couple of days, and they get tested, and they've had it, and that was the only thing they could point towards. Some people have virtually no symptoms. It's like. The, this varied response is puzzling too. And then I talked to nurse friends of mine that are in hospitals in New York city and they say people are dying in ways they're like, it's not the flu. They call it that to blanketly say something, but it shuts down different systems in the body, robs the oxygen from the blood. So you just watch people slowly drown over 20 hours. Insane. Yeah. Uh, but I know a few comics who were very sick in December and it was probably looking back, they might've had, it's had it back then, you know, when it wasn't really right. a thing till February. But, you know, who knows when this thing got here? They, I don't even think people know. Like, there's so many. To me, I liken it when AIDS first was a thing. That's what they made it out to be. And I really, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, at first, AIDS was a gay disease because it was only showing up in bathhouses. That's where the the first litmus test of right. here's here's a wild group of us out here doing yeah. all the crazy parties. It was an it was a group that was uh, ripe to get that. Is that is that the idea? Uh, well, I mean, back then it was you know the technology because you're not sleeping very much. You're partying a lot. There's you know unprotected sex, yeah, know, drug use. But then uh, you know you knew a bisexual man. The big ride of the '70s, sexual revolution yeah. happened. So it was the the yeah, it was the culmination of all that. But I, you know, you had the, that one bisexual guy slept with an infected gay man, and then the bisexual guy. Are you telling me the history of AIDS right now? Well, no, I'm just saying how when it first started happening, you know. Are you telling was, me a personal story? Yeah, I have it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why I don't wear condoms. I can't catch it twice. Um, but then the bisexual guy sleeps with a straight woman. Right. She sleeps with a straight man and then, oh, straight people can get it. Like, how's this work? And Right. And uh, I didn't really know a lot of straight people that got it that weren't uh, needle abusers. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I know a few people who, who are straight and, you know, they slept. With but I know a lot of people that got AIDS and cleaned their lives up, like changed their lives radically and still alive, you know, 
Um, yeah, I mean, you look at the... Uh, which is heartening, because he used to think it was a death sentence. Right. And the way the fear and hysteria works in the media is like that. It's like that right now. Yeah. It's like this is all fear and hysteria, just like the way AIDS was. And and then what happened also during AIDS? The fucking cure, the guys that had enough money to go into hospitals and get the cure died. A lot of those guys getting treated in the late 80s, early 90s, they died because of the cure. Same thing with intubation. And here, we killed a bunch of people in the hospitals because they, they didn't open up the intubation to be um, uh, anything. It just it came back to itself. Sorry, I'm so distracted now by the news. Jesus oh, yeah. Christ. I, mean, oh, I don't watch the news. Savage. Just, I'm waiting Savage. for the UFC prelims to come on. They I can't wait. Switch over. I can't wait. I'm not uh, going to look anymore. There's too many cards. I don't know. what. The, I didn't even know there was a card. What do you like about the fights tonight? To be honest with you, I only watch for the heavyweight fights, and I know uh, Ivanov, I think, is his mm -hmm. name. He's fighting uh, some uh, another guy I've never heard of, but uh, I love the heavyweights. Are they really going to have an island where they go and fight, do you think? <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, who knows? Is that Epstein's Island, do you think? Well, it's available. I mean, is it for sale? It's, it's available, and probably get a good deal on it. Um, that guy was out of control. So many people helped him too. Like I, that was the one takeaway, and I won't spoil the. I mean, you know the ending, but you know the. the Do they go into that about like the, how he was murdered? I mean, suicided. Right. I mean, well, whatever you call it. I mean, I'm, I don't want to get into Tripoli and Bravo territory, but I do believe he was murdered. But and I'm not a. But no, I just asked, did the did the they documentary delve into it. You know, they call in Dr. Michael Bodden and Cyril Weck, who were the like the preeminent. Uh, pathologist you know they were on the oj trial uh i think they called him in for george floyd also yeah well, i heard that geez, today that's like you know that's it that's the thing i hear these fucking apologist people there's a dude i was talking to and he goes he goes yeah but um did you see the the autopsy report the preliminary one i go no and on he, epstein no or, on uh, on on floyd and he goes and he sends them to me and i go and it's just this like it's like apologist bullshit. Like said, oh well, he had pre-existing heart conditions and emphysema or something. Like and was on drug. As, I was like, as like the it's so fucking offensive to even bring that goddamn information up. It's fucking insane. It's called having your carotid artery. Uh, it's so It's all that stuff where they're like, sh you shouldn't run from all. Fucking save all that shit, man. Cause you that's fucking stuff. times over. You can't talk loose like that anymore. But I mean, that was like what happened to Floyd was like if you put a chokehold on me for eight minutes, it's you, insane, you bro. Could kill me, no, bro, not but even could that. You kill me, I could kill me. you easily. We know that. But like the the, I mean, I could pick the ways. Whatever I want to do to you, I can. But you, but my fact, the the point is, is like the other part of that is there's two other men on that guy. So he's completely smothered. His abdomen, his chest, and his neck. We're only seeing the neck. Like for fucking eight minutes, Jesus Christ, man! Which is, you know, uh, I couldn't believe what I couldn't believe because I can understand a lot of the chokes we see. We see Eric Garner get killed, and those guys—they're they're they're fat, shitty, out of shape cops that don't have any skill sets. They're they're just grotesque movers. They're abysmal fucking humans on every level, and and they're but they're inflamed. And those are dangerous people. People with power that are inflamed with zero skill sets. <gasps> that's a dangerous motherfucker. And so you got guys like that that are out there. This guy, though, that killed George Floyd. He was fucking just dead set. Quiet eyes, just calm. Like to sit there without emotion like that. That's, that's somebody that's not, 
subject to their emotions being riled up and you can be like they weren't thinking straight he was having all the thoughts would you say uh intentional the likelihood of him being bullied in high school oh oh my question is is it premeditated did he did he want to i mean what what are we seeing it's insane i mean it's thank god someone was filming i mean just to i mean and how horrific how horrific to be there to view that to film it and to know that if you walk up, you'll be shot. You're watching a man get murdered by the state, by people that are sworn to protect our citizens. It's, it's fucking insane. I mean, what do you think? The, uh, not the cure, but the, I think the, the only better for cops. Like, no, you don't. They're not, they're not. You know, it's not like there's a guidebook that says, Hey, I'm a shitty cop. And, or here's, here's the guidebook of how to be shitty to people or whatever. It's, it's that we uh but there must be it's permissive it's a cultural permissive thing and so if you're in a police department where you have to rely upon other people i mean you all kind of have to fucking cover for each other and at some point if a guy is really racist in his heart and is a fucking white supremacist piece of shit and he goes out and hurts people and you kind of know that about him a lot of those guys i bet get let slide because nobody wants to rock the boat behind the blue line and and because of that if you're not willing to stand up and you're the good guys I think that, I mean, Jesus Christ, man, they could be solved right there if you change that culture. But culturally, clearly, it's acceptable. I mean, you watch the, the videos that come out after this in New York City. I mean, cops are hitting people with cars. They're fucking throwing uh, small women, guys my size, get throwing 100-pound women into the curbs just for nothing, being horribly, just uh, ghost spraying everybody outside the car in Minnesota with pepper spray, just crowds shooting bullets into uh reporters and into camp people with cameras shooting rubber bullets like it they, the list goes on and on and on you could shut that out right now as a cop if you change the culture of it and i think to change our culture of it it's not about i mean i hear killer mike and i hear guys like this talk about you got to go out and vote and you got to change the da if the da did your man dirty all that i'm with all that but it's to me it's like deeper and i don't know how to how to undo it except to culturally show and represent everybody in entertainment as equal and equitable integers that can be interchangeable anywhere instead of only typifying black Hispanic as thug, uh, in these horrible lights that we do. I mean, you can't name an Asian lead right now. You can't say Bobby Lee. There's just nobody. It's like, we don't have equity in that realm. And if we don't have it there where people aspire to, and they dream about, cause that's what people mimic, right? They mimic that. They don't mimic their shitty parents. They mimic what they see in entertainment on TV and we don't know one another. And so until everybody gets to have their stories told out there, I don't think there's a togetherness because this all looks like the other. And that's what I think that there's, I don't know. It seems like there's an entity that's creating people to look at each other as the other. Feel like I just really hijacked your fucking podcast. No, I love it. Because it's no, it's not hijacking at all. I mean, it's, <sighs> uh, I mean, I guess my question. And so I just sit and watch. You know, you watch it, right? Well, what can you do? I mean, it's... well, I think you breathe. I mean, and a lot of times, I think when you have chaos, you find out how to find a, an inner breath so that you're not making an emotional decision. You have to calm yourself in order to be analytical about it, so you can move smartly and correctly and. And to move while you're full of emotion isn't always the best way. It often leads to future chaos. And so I think that's one of the things is learning to control ourselves so that you can regroup and, and talk about how to make a tactical assessment about where you want to go next. And if you're one of these leaders in culture, I, I think guys are doing that right now. And they're having that discussion. I mean, uh... but it sure seems like there's a lot of evil forces at work against that kind of discussion. 
Well, it's just, it's so hard to take the emotion out of it. And, you know, especially if you're African-American and you see Garner and you see this and Rodney King and, and, you know. Take all that out of it. Talk about having to talk to your young black child about how people are going to look at you as if you're bad. Like you tell, you got to tell children this because they're going to come across quiet racism that they don't understand that you've got to, you've got to, you've got to give a glossary of terms to these crazy undercurrents of emotions that, that we're all fucking affected by man. And then not only that, but you got to tell them how high the stakes are if they get pulled over by a cop. And uh, my, my dad, he uh, it was one of the few talks that we had that were, he, he really imparted on me the danger of the police. And um, it's it, for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, that, that's a conversation we had to have. And you shut up. You don't say anything. You ask for a lawyer. And, like, that's, that's the way you behave with the police. You just do as they say. You don't offer resistance. And you, and you uh, ask for a lawyer. And don't say anything. Hold your mud no matter what. Great advice. But it's a way different conversation if I'm a black kid and he has to have that conversation because the stakes are so fucking high that even if I do everything right, I might end up at Rikers Island or with a bullet in me or something for getting pulled over. I mean, we hear stories about it all the time. It, it can't go unspoken. To, to, to believe that it's not prevalent is to not acknowledge it. And to not acknowledge it is almost to condone it. And it's almost worse than that because you're not even... A, a, how do we even start to get better if we can't all acknowledge like, yes, this is a thing that's present. If we can't acknowledge the what is of it, it, it seems really hard. So those people I don't know how to talk to when I come into contact with them online or wherever. I mean, most of those fuckers don't deserve a voice. So it's, yeah, interesting times. Well, I think especially now the cops, like I walk the dog really late at night and, you know, I'm obviously pretty white and, uh, you know, this is a primarily a white neighborhood. Uh, and you could tell, he'd look at me like, I hope this guy does something. I mean, they're jonesing right now for action. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not even like trying to be funny because it's a serious. Yeah. Uh, but you could tell they see this guy walking the dog with his white girlfriend and, and Chandler's, you know, pretty demure and white. And uh, you could tell, like, God, I hope he mouths off to us. I, I hope like. So I can't imagine what it feels like to be black or Hispanic. And I can't imagine what it feels like to be a cop right now. I yeah, mean, and there's a lot of all of that too, right? It's like the whole thing is so fucking layered. I mean, and that's what I hate too, is that you've got to, you know, you, it's weird. Like if you're looking at high yielding um, entities, societies, kind of cultures, you're looking at people that are constantly talking about the shortcomings so they can clean them up and they can get to the goal quicker, right? The less shortcomings I have, the better. So the more critical we are of one of another and our shortcomings, it, it, it begets us to a better place at a more aggregated rate. The point being that if I'm only there to butter you up and tell you what a great job you've been doing and how wonderful you are on all your assets. Yeah. You're supposed to be all that. The parts that I need you to excel at are this. So people in high functioning societies like that, they, they push each other to that end and they don't need to be coddled a lot and said, get a lot of attaboys. Right. And, and the same thing, man, we choose our, we choose our jobs and everybody likes attaboys and you've got to be heralded for the good things, but it's so easy to not be looked at as shit. If you don't look away from when your partners are doing horrific fucking things. I mean, that's one of the most horrible things that we see about, um, the Floyd George instance is that 
there's guys that are bystanders that are feeling the body of the man, feeling him quake, feeling all that. And, and they're there to protect us. And they die right there underneath him. Like Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the video really brings it home, you know, just for eight minutes, the guy's being tortured and the, the guy, the cop, uh, I don't know the cop's name, probably not even worth mentioning. I think it's Devro. Uh, he doesn't seem to have a care in the world. Like, and he doesn't even look like his heartbeat is racing. Yeah. He's looking at the guy filming or girl. I don't know if it was a guy or girl. The guy filming is there. Well, there's a guy that's there that's a young jujitsu student. And he's going, that's a blood choke. You're, right. you're on his neck. And he says, and from the angle I was, I could only see him. I didn't know there was two men behind him. Right. I didn't either. And, and uh, I didn't either until I saw another camera angle. And he, and he says, when I said that's a blood choke, it's like he looked at me like he knew just what he was doing. And then he just went back. And he just ignored me. And I can't imagine sitting there knowing, looking at something like that, not being able to pull that guy off him because you know if you intervene, you're going to be shot to death. Like, and these are people that are supposed to be helping us. It's, it's, uh, and all that for a forged check. I mean, I'm, it's a serious for crime. a forged check. Like, like, it seems like there's a little exuberant in their, uh, excitement of taking this guy down. Yeah. Like we that. have to change the idea of what we think equality looks like. But do you think it's also, uh, how they're trained? I mean, I'm sure I think it's also because the elections are coming up and I don't, I don't know that it's trained. I think you give anybody power and that's a, it's a heavy crucible to hold power is. And if you're unskilled at it, if it's, maybe this is your first time in, in, in having to yield power like that. And, and especially if you don't quite merit it yet, fuck now, you, you know, that, that causes a lot of problems for people. And it's a tremendous amount we ask a police officer to do. And so I think without experience, it's really hard to make great choices probably because it's such a hot zone. And so you got to have some latitude. And if you only have bad examples though, fuck man, now you're getting trained while you're getting experiences in a poor way. And so that's worse. And I don't know if that's what's happening or not, but I mean, I just kind of liken it to what good training and bad training is in jujitsu or something like that. You can, you know, but I can already see you can detract defense. from somebody's skill set. But I think the defense will always, Hey, it's not his fault. That's how he was trained. It's like, come on, man. Like, it's, not, it's unacceptable. It's, like what it's unacceptable. Did for Rodney King. That's uh, how they're trained. It's like, come on, six of you beating the guy up with batons. Yeah. And, uh, and so it'll be, uh, I'm sure the trial will be uh, very divisive. As, Man, as country needs anymore. Did they, do you know if they arrested the other three guys yet? I don't believe they have. I know the uh, the main guys in jail and uh, five hundred thousand uh, dollar bail, which I can see uh, some rich uh, racist guys. Hey, I'll, I'll right. I'll get them off. Uh, have you heard anything about um, the agent provocateurs that? were there like the guy in the black umbrella with the gas mask that was, had the hammer and was breaking the windows and started the fires in Minneapolis. No, I haven't. I mean, Oh, uh, so there's all these guys that's kicked the riots off that are like, yeah, tactical looking white dudes and got like completely covered with black umbrellas. Very real crazy. Anyway. Yeah. It's I strange mean, times so going on. Yeah. It's like you don't even know, like, yeah, I don't know all the subtexts of all this movie that we're in right now. I mean, and it's starting to branch out into West Hollywood uh, and, and other areas where, like, Red Band uh, just uh, posted that Joe's Pizza, the window was uh, broken, and, and Joe's is a, uh, a comic staple for late night. Uh, 
you know, I was walking the dog on Melrose, a huge storefront window, a rock thrown through it. So it started, you, you know, they'll start to get serious when it starts invading this part of town. Right. Uh, and then, you know, I know downtown LA was a, a hot uh, stove. It's such a money embedded political hot zone that now, you know, there's people on either side that, you know, there's some people that it, it behooves them to have chaos like that in the street. And so then they go and conspire to make that happen. I don't know that it's all protest, you know, a oh, lot of, a lot of different powers that are struggling against each other right here. Oh, there's people like Al Sharpton. He'll get in and, mm. you know, uh, and take advantage of, uh, this for his own gain. And, you know, if this was a white guy getting choked, uh, you wouldn't see Al Sharpton going, this is outrageous. Uh, so there's people like that. And then, it's different. Oh, absolutely. And, but and, like, and I mean, it's it's like saying I had a lot of bad brushes with police. That's 100% the way I behaved, right? I was in that life. And so we had a lot of wrecks like that with cops. But if I'd have been an honor student or something, I, I wouldn't have that same experience. But yeah. you've got to recognize the fact that if I were black, it would make no goddamn difference what my choices were on how I was treated by the state and establishment. It's well, fucking different. But the difference with you is if someone tried, if that cop tried to put you in that halt. Uh, how about that? What do you think I do when cops talk to me? I do whatever the fuck they say, man, because I know how bad they can hurt me. And I'm not trying to talk to somebody that's hyped up or that has, I, I don't want to make their decisions any harder to make. I want them to keep me safe. But I would say at least in your. Case, but I don't have an expectation that I'm going to be killed if I relinquish myself to them. But I'm just saying at least you could defend yourself a little better. Now, once you're handcuffed. You know, that's the first thing we do when we're talking to cops. You get linked up and now we're in a different position, right? Well, I would imagine they would call for backup with you. I mean, you're gonna you're you're talking about the yeah. It's it's not a comedy. Oh no, it's it's I mean, there's not there's not a fight there's just no sense in that. And that's not I mean, yeah, I think I think about that. I'm I'm watching that video and I'm running do you run up and kick him in the head? That's my instinct, right? To kick that cop in the fucking head. But then you, then and, you and, and then I, and no, then I'm dead. And then, then I, and then I go, maybe I got to die. Like, I don't know that I, cause I don't know that I can live knowing that I might be watching a live murder right now. I just, I just, it, fuck, it puts you in a horrible position. Cause when he was getting, uh, cuffed, what is this? Uh, well, Trump is out of control. Like, uh, he's not exactly helping uh, the situation with some of his tweets. Uh, but you know, the unlimited power of our, military he just that's like mm, that's so he does some dangerous talk he he's does. got a horrible style that guy you know I he think doesn't present himself very well if he would just shut up people would like him a lot more. i think that his yeah but he's not going to shut up he's seven no nobody argues with his his policies as much as they argue with the way he presents himself. he's just horrible i think if he could just rein it in a little bit but he's not, <laughs> he's not. it's not gonna he happen. has kind of reined it in during this and then not the last really. but the last four days he's really ramped up a lot I like that he gave all the states power. I think that's the right move. You get because everything is. I mean, in different areas, different things are happening, and different things are important. The only people that know that are the locals. So he gave. I mean, I love that less federal power. Fucking give them power to the states. But like when that <clears throat> lady got uh, what is it about two years ago? She got ran over by the white supremacist uh, in the Dodge Charger when the Charger. Right. Yeah. And uh, Trump said something to the effect of. Hey, he was a bad guy, but there's bad people on the other side too. It's like, dude, that's not right. 
almost kind of giving that guy this thing saying that once the looting starts the shooting starts man you're right. that's a threat bro you can't say what the fuck that's the president saying that shit so uh you know i just wish these guys have help us don't hurt us signs on and they're yeah anyway interesting. and i do feel bad for the good cops uh you know because now they're of a, who are most of them it only takes five percent of people to make your whole shit look fucking like garbage you know and now they're it's so important and that's the thing about being quiet that's why it's a problem is because that that small percentage is if they're being loud fuck you can't hear anything else you have to cut that cancer out yeah i mean you know i had a friend of mine he, he was a lapd and he asked to be in the Inglewood Police Department. I'm like, why would you ask to be in that mm-hmm. uh, you know, high crime area? He's like, I just want to fuck with blacks. And You're I, shitting me. And that's not the word he used. Yeah, of I, course. I, I think you can. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, dude, like, why would, like, what? So there are, you know, I would say 5% of cops are bad. It may be more, uh, but. You know, now these poor guys are paying. Well, and then you get put in a horrible position if you're a police officer because now you're pitted against the public. It's horrible. These guys are in an awful spot. That girl keeps getting hit in her vagina with a nightstick. My goodness. I think I know her. All right, let's get to happier times. All right. Uh, we're going to switch I can't believe you riots. have this on your television. Jesus Well, I'd like for my Christ. guests to be entertained. I'm, I'm visually terrified. Like, we could turn the TV off. No, this is good. Just even there, that's smaller. That's all right. And uh, we're going to go to uh, the... Why did they all have masks on at the UFC weigh-ins? Historically, they haven't done it since COVID's way has hit us. But now I noticed everybody had masks on. Is that because the UFC saying that, or is that everybody's choice? Because they're all heavily tested. Everybody at that party has been tested over and over again the last bunch of months. I mean, I don't mind... uh or weeks, so hard rather. to talk about, you know, stupid stuff like UFC and hockey uh, after what we've been talking about. I kind of like it with no crowd. Cause you, I do, too. You hear the punches. Like, I think it's way better. You're, And it's not, I mean, part, part of that is the, the yeah, I don't think, the, I, I think it's cooler. I think it's cool they go in dead silence. They do their thing. It's almost like more personal and intimate and gentlemanly. I like it a lot. Although I will say with Ferguson and Gaethje, you know, I think Ferguson thrives off the crowd. <laughs> and there was that one point where uh, he was under fire from Gaethje. And I think if the crowd would have been there, he might have performed a smidge better. Mm. Uh, and then there's other guys like uh, Gaethje seems like he doesn't need a crowd to perform better. Yeah. He's just an assassin. Yeah, I and, think that's uh, what it is. He's there to do that job. And I think that also is so. It was so heavy um, for Tony. I mean, he was absorbing so many shots that to just keep going physically, it's like you, it's hard to recover from that. Your timing gets shot. I mean, and things, if they're just a hair off in the microcomputer, you're not going to make your shots. And that just started happening more and more as the rounds progressed. And I think the crowd would have, uh, he seems like he needs that. Uh, the roar of the crowd to get him out of certain situations, get get that extra mm. smidge of adrenaline. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting, uh, you know, like in hockey, like I'm interested when the team sports come back. Cause how do you have the hockey players on a bench? Like if you really go six feet, like how do you have a New York subway? 
Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, that's the thing that's so troubling is that like, we're supposed to believe that our immune system doesn't work anymore. And that's not the way to do like, it's, it's just a weird time. But take the NFL. You've got 53 guys on the roster. They're going to go ahead with it, right? Don't they, didn't they say they're but, as scheduled? They have games yeah. going. They're not stopping. But ha- on the sideline, if you have 53 players, probably, let's say, 30 coaches. Uh, and then you know, There's that many coaches? Well, there's uh, assistants. Trainers, assistants. all that, yeah. So you've got, uh, let's say, 80 combined coaches, players, and then you've got team staff, you know, doctors, uh, ball boys. Media. Uh, What's the sideline? The sideline is going to go from the uh, locker room to the other locker room. And uh, I don't, in hockey, you've got. Well, or how many of those guys become non-essential, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't need a ball boy, I guess. But, uh, you know. Boy, these are big boys. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, they're showing, for those of you not able to see my Sorry. TV right now, it, we're watching the heavyweight uh, co-main event. Uh, they're doing the highlights. Uh I think one guy's ranked 13th and the other guy is around 10th. So uh, it's kind of a weird co-main event with two guys who uh, aren't in the top 10. But, uh, you know, I guess not every week you can have over him. Do they have, do you think they have a, they have a certain amount of fights they're obligate to put out for ESPN, I would imagine. Uh, Yeah. And so you're just throwing a lot of fights together. And then you've got guys that have signed that, you want to give them a chance to earn money, I would imagine, too. I mean, I get you need to have a lot of cards. I just, as a fan, uh, I think uh, there's too many cards. Uh, right, but they want to hype them up. For the big, big names, they want to hump, hype those up so much. Uh, I, Andre Arlowski. He, yeah, he was, uh, He, I think he won his last fight. That's yeah. crazy to me, he still fights. I mean, it, Savage. He's one of the oldest. He and Diego, right? Diego's he probably the oldest, oldest Overeem, ultimate fighter. If you count Overeem's pride days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a different animal. Well, and the first time he fought in pride, the, like that, my that build is crazy, dude. Yeah, totally. Like 205. Lanky, long arms, great guillotine chokes. And then uh, the horse meat. Well, yeah, that'll happen. Well, like, uh, I mean, I it, you would know this more than I would. Uh, I, I heard in Pride, let's just say they weren't exactly strict. They encouraged the fuck out of you to dope there. Because a guy like uh, Bob Sapp. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like he already had a diet going into it, Pride, but they probably streamlined that, you know, to get a particular result. He got, he got, do you know how he got famous over there? No, he was with like TNT wrestling, one of those wrestling things that when they were over there, they got um, bankrupt. And so he was caught in Japan with no job. And so he started driving uh, the morgue van bodies from the Air Force base to the morgue. And that became his job while he was in Japan. And then he saw a flyer about. You want to do a tough man? Remember the tough man contest? Tough oh, man yeah. contest for your listeners back in the day. Tough man contest was a thing. I think the guy was out of Michigan, maybe, but he said, I got sick of hearing the guys at the bar watching fights, watching, you know, Holyfield fight or something, going, I could do this or that. And he goes, Oh, really? So I got all the tough guys in all the towns. And if you're a tough guy, come and box. And they set up like a boxing match against other so called tough guys from the town. And you could like be the tough I think boxing, boxing matches, kind of like three minute boxing matches. And a lot of guys just saw out, how out of shape they were, is what that produced a lot of. But anyway, there was one of those that was getting thrown in Japan. And 
they needed somebody to fight um, Refrigerator Perry, William Perry from the Chicago Bears. Right. I don't know, 300 and some pound or 400, but huge guy. And so Bob Sapp, they debuted him and he was a huge guy. He used to play football and um, socked him up and he became Godzilla to the Japanese people and became an instant hero. And so they swept him up and and cultivated him into being, you know, Bob Sapp, the, the fighter. And then also his biggest fights were as a kickboxer. Um, he had some legit wins over, uh, who was it, Peter, uh, Ertz. Yeah. He, 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 dude, he fought a bunch of guys. I, I didn't, um, but he was, I mean, so big and so savage that it's just like, it's, it's hard to stop. But like Michael McDonald fought him. who's a little, like maybe a two twenty pounder, maybe, but fuck, he can move man. And, and, and Bob would get tired really easily. And that's what we found in fights too. But he has crazy stories about, um, I'm Russian mob chasing him, trying to get fights like because they're like, well, we we owed taxes that we never paid on your last eight fights or something. We and so you're gonna fight this guy tonight. And it was some killer like Bojanchik or somebody like that. And he's like, I'm not gonna fight him for nothing. I need my two million dollars or whatever. He goes, No, we're gonna pay all the old taxes with that, and you're gonna fight for free tonight. And he he's like, I bounce from the arena, and they fucking chase me. Got you know, crazy, crazy. Like in uh, the Netherlands, I think. Like, what would be the strategy to fight Bob Sapp just to try and get him? Oh, leg? easy. Take him to the, yeah, single leg, drag, I mean, yeah. Just because. And run it and put him on his back. You don't want to get hit by him. How hard is he hit? I can't imagine. But that's so much mass. He's so big, dude. Bob Sapp, to your listeners, we're talking, you should Google him. Because you're looking at a guy, it's it's hard to know until he stands in front of you, but he's, he's not super tall, maybe 6'6", but he's like 400 pounds with a six-pack like ripped shredded like crazy dude his hammer fists uh, he he beat dudes like where they're still feeling the beating today the, the noguera fight it's crazy anyway yeah uh but his endurance is his guy is yeah it's not good i heard he used to tell promoters listen you got me for two minutes yeah you got me for a round well that's why that one kickboxing uh the the heavyweight grand prix and all that they they were so great for him because it was just like two minute rounds and it was these monsters that would go and just bang for three hard two minute rounds or maybe they were three minute rounds but it's something like that it's real tight i mean he reminds me of uh, my favorite heavyweight boxer from the 70s tex cobb uh who kind of have followed your path into the acting world you know he he, uh, in his case, he became famous for getting. Was famous. he in any which way but can't you but loose or no? But close though. He, he he got famous for his fight with Larry Holmes, in which he basically it was kind of like the Rocky. He just wanted <laughs> to see if he could last, and he didn't Crazy. throw many punches, and uh, he he just laughed at Larry the whole fight. And Larry Holmes, this is like before Tyson. Like Larry Holmes was, and his guy. goal was just to survive take the shots and yeah. that was that was like he's like i want to stand in that fire and see what that's like i'm gonna because he was he was but he uh, wasn't trying to win i mean he might say he wasn't trying to win uh or or you, you know i mean are you saying that he was saying i was outclassed and i just wanted to survive yeah. or is he saying oh i could have won but i chose not to and just see if he could take me out he might say he was trying to win but i think you know it was like stallone i know rocky's a fictional movie but I think he wanted to see if he could last with Larry Holmes the full fight. Um, huh. And then he was a world-class kickboxer. So uh, he was actually probably better at kickboxing than he was boxing. Had to be very hard for him to fight in a boxing fight then and know he's got these other weapons that he can't utilize. Right. Uh, it's frustrating. 
And then he kind of followed your path of uh, what was he in? Uh, he was in the Gene Hackman War movie, and then uh, Raising Arizona, I think, is probably his. With Nicolas Cage, he played like the uh, the the biker trying to hurt him. It's uh, been and he, forty-eight years. Yeah, he was in Miami Vice and and uh, all that stuff. So we're gonna get into your acting now. Oh, are we? All right. What was the first gig you got post UFC? Uh, oh no, MMA? not post. Is pre. Oh, really? Yeah, man. So you did acting before you did... So I'm working at a nightclub in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'm running a security group there. And I'm I'm not a professional fighter at that time. I just had started... I'd fought the Dog Brothers stick fighting group a, a few times. And I just started jiu-jitsu, really, training jiu-jitsu. Because that's what we were finding in stick fights. that The fight would go to the ground and then guys would get finished up quick if they didn't have a base on the ground. And, um, so it really interested me anyway. And, and, and that was kind of my course with that. So anyway, I'm running this security group at this nightclub in the Southwest and, uh, and these, I get a call to come up front and, and these three huge black guys are up there and they go, Hey, we need some white boys for this movie we're doing out at the prison. Santa Fe has a defunct prison. They rioted fascinating book called, uh, the devil's butcher shop was written about the experience of the eighties riots at the Santa Fe prisons of which they're overcrowded by like. You know, maybe they had a 1,200 uh, people there and they had a capacity for 800. It was something like that. The food was mold, the whole thing. And they rioted and they cut heads off and it was a crazy deal. So anyway, that became a defunct prison. They built another maximum security behind it. And we just film movies in that prison now. That's that's where this was going down anyway. What movie was it? It was called Lockdown. And it's so these guys are work for Master P and and it's his production company and he's making all these movies so me and a couple of homeboys go out we get this job and uh that's where i got a sag card and it, it was great it was really it was fucking really fun it was a cool thing to do and um i made a whole bunch of money and the guy at the end of it this this uh guy keith willard he was he's a friend of mine now like he's a guy that hired me on an equalizer also you know 10 years later or whatever and he didn't remember this at all. I was just a local guy in Santa Fe that was an actor that got this job that also did the stunts um, on the, and I didn't know that. I was just having fun. I didn't know what stunts were. Act. I, didn't, I didn't know there was differentiations. Anyways, um, he says, you should come out to LA and you should stay with me, man. I, you could really fucking run with this. And I was like, man, I just started doing this, uh, this grappling stuff. And I really like competing all over. I was competing all over the country. And I was like, I, I'm just going to do that, man. Thanks though. Cause it seemed unrealistic. I'm like, I'm just a kid from Michigan to go be in the movies in LA. Like that's whatever, you know, I got a fat check right now. I'm cool. I only got to work one job and I can follow this dream I'm doing. And so that's kind of was the course that that took. And then I did like a Nissan commercial you know, people would call sometimes, Hey, you want to try out for this thing? And, uh, and so I'd get a couple jobs like that, but I never looked after it at all that. And, but that commercial interested me because I did like a day, they gave me like $350 to work for the day. I, I like, I'm in a mud, I'm at, uh, Ojo Caliente hot springs in Santa Fe, just North of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And there's a mud bath. And so the thing is, it's like Nissan Xterra, what a small world it is. And these people go from New York and Topeka, Kansas and all these places. And they stop all these places and they see people from the city that they know uh, throughout all these stops. I'm at the stop. I come up in a cowboy hat out of the mud and I'm like, hey, you live in my building. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? And so it's like that. But fuck, over the next three years, I keep getting checks that total like $25,000. And I was like, oh, shit, this is. And, and so I had some some benefit and some idea about like what that could look like. 
um, if I chased it, I just never thought about it again. I fought, I, you know, ran that whole course as an athlete instead. And then I was teaching jujitsu at my gym in Santa Fe once one day. And, uh, this guy, Darren Prescott comes up and we start talking about that first experience with Keith Willard and Darren falls in love with jujitsu. And so we train jujitsu this whole time. He's filming this show called Paul, which is about an alien with Simon Pegg. And he goes, Oh fuck. You know, you know, my buddy Keith. And I was like, what a trip that it's that connected. And that's what's a small world. This is. So anyway, I go out and I start working for him. Then I work on red Dawn and then I work, you know, they asked me to come out and audition for this thing. Uh, not audition. I get a text from a guy that I worked on red Dawn with, which was a friend of Darren's and uh, Chris O'Hara is his name. And, and Chris says, Hey, uh, I, I need you to come out and be in downtown LA tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Can you be there to meet, meet and greet these directors? They want to get a look at these guys for this potential part. And I go, yeah, yeah, sure. And that's all I knew. Cause I was done fighting. I was bodyguarding. I hated it. Um, I, I didn't hate it, but it was like, I'd grown to a place where I'm like, I'm living somebody else's life, man. And I got to live my own life as a man. I, I just, so I just had to take a departure from that for my own psyche. It was kind of the same way when I stopped working security at the club. It was a lot of that was because I didn't like the us and them aspect of it. It started, the job started to change me. So I had to choose a different job, you know, cause I didn't like the way it was directing my psyche. So anyway, uh, I think it's important to be proactive with your fucking life and not be a victim of wherever it's at. Um, could I ask you a question? Please about like the, go ahead. Uh, security. Yeah, interrupt anytime. No, I don't want to interrupt because uh, you're like my dream guest. I just say something, you just go with it. Uh, uh, is it like con I'm, con I'm content filler? Uh, but I love it, man. I don't. People don't want to hear me t at this point. This is the 300th episode, by the way. Your voice, yeah, it's this a lot a, for me. It is. Yeah, but no, like, for me too. Uh, you know, is security guys almost like cops where the, the you know, 5% are, are bad. Like, you know, I, I would imagine. I had a very high standard with the guys that I worked with. I taught them all how, what was acceptable ways to, uh, have any, any encounter before it became physical. And we would do, we would run scenarios every week with that. We would do, uh, we would deconstruct the night, even overnights where, um, you know, there was something that happened and everything went great. Nobody got hurt. It was de-escalated perfectly. Where could we have done it better? We were always, I was always pushing the guys to go, where could we have done this better? They're like, well, nothing happened. Everything is cool. Well, how about we didn't even get into it? Could we have avoided it? Like, and I, and, and that was the thinking. And I think if you don't, you know, if you don't tax men with thinking about how to have a higher standard, well, you're going to get the fucking result of you not caring what the standard is. And so I, I just tried to set a high enough tone. And in my standard, I'd be like, you can't sell dope here. Uh, you can't fuck girls on the job. Well, I'm out. I know what a drag. Right. And, 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 but like dude selling Coke at the back door one night and I don't have a overabundance of staff. I have enough staff to run the place and we got a big hip hop night coming up. It's going to be busy. I need all my staff. I got to fire this dude. And my boss was like, can you wait till after Friday night or whatever? And I was like, it either means something or it doesn't. Right. And, and I just knew that, that I go nature abhors a vacuum. There's something will come in to fill this space. But if I don't excise this tumor from us right now, we're all going to get sick. And so that's just how I was just like that with it. I was very strategic about having a sustainable uh, culture there. And that had to be from people reaching towards a, a, a high level and having the openness to be able to speak freely about whatever and to all share certain standards. And if I wasn't going to say the standards to those people and draw it out in a very particular way, then I couldn't be upset if they, you know, hit the wrong mark. 
But like in the security world, I would imagine there are some, probably not many, who just want to kick ass. I'm sure, but in a in in How my in in, in in my place, I don't you don't see that if people. I mean, that's insecurity, right? And so it, it just doesn't jive. When I'm asking you to have standards, it doesn't jive with insecurity. It doesn't speak to your ego boosting. It speaks to we're in a job of service to make sure everybody's safe here. And even people that act out of line because they're hammered or whatever, they're still safe here. I, I mean, that's the thing about this cop shit. It's like, I knew I've arrested a lot of people. I don't know, a hundred people maybe in my life, put handcuffs on, wait for the, like citizens arrest in that job. And, um, and the thing I know is that once I put my hands on you, I own your body. Yes, I've had your hands if, put on it, me. But if you fall down and you hurt yourself, that's on me. Like if I take you under my custody, I'm responsible for your health, right? Like I need to make doubly careful that you're safe. And I, yeah, so anyway, that's that's why it was different. But are those people, I guess, uh, easy to spot? Like For me, yeah. Like you see a guy and what, like what's like an indicator? Okay, this I can see a guy walk fight. in a room and know what he's up to. I mean, you just, you work a job like that long enough, you get an eye for who everybody is, you know? You've been a watcher and you're trying to forecast problems before they happen. And so you start to see the future sometimes and shit, you know? You can predict what people are up to. You can predict what they're going to say next to get out of something because people get under pressure of like, if you can't come into the door because you're hammered, you know, like all, I don't know. You learn how to be clear. By the way, I did not see your red dawn mm -hmm. because, uh, because uh, of Hemsworth? Well, no, no. He, who, by the way, is playing Hulk Hogan, which I'm very interested in. Breaking news: Chris Hemsworth will be uh, Terry Bollea, or for you wrestling freaks, Hulk Hogan. Uh, and and this kind of gets me into the cast. What kind of storyline is that going to be? Are they going to do the sex tape and the whole thing, or the disaster, or only the high days, or what? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Todd Phillips is doing it, so uh, wow, he's brilliant. And uh, former inappropriate Earl uh, alumni guest Eric Bischoff is uh, in the that's Hulk Hogan's best friend. Used to run WCW, only person to go up against WWF. I'll, I just can't call them WWE and beat them for two years in the ratings he was the genius why punk. can't you call him wwe what's the distinction uh well they got sued by the world wildlife federation you know we caught that's them. why the wwf changed yeah that's hilarious and uh now it's world wrestling entertainment but i'm sorry it's wwf to me i can see why he is kind of heartless and shitty then sometimes to people that because it's like this is what i'm up against this kind of idiocy <laughs> But you could be in that movie. I mean, I might yeah. be helping you with a gig right yeah, that's, now. Thank you so much, man. Well, I said might be. I thought you said you had some power. Uh, no. Uh, You're from a royal family in America. Well, my thing is uh, with the Hulk Hogan movie, and it gets into- uh, Would you have gone on the plane with Epstein? A guy like you, it seems like- Well, I love women, but uh, my women were all of age. Uh, a lot of my girlfriends, if, uh, a lot of people, you know, like Chandler, my current uh, love of my life is 24 years uh, Let's younger. Let's not call her me. your current love of your life. Let's call her your love of your life. Well, yeah, but it's current. Right, yeah. But as if it's a passing thing is how you no, say No, no, I didn't mean it like that. I just Well, or, like there's been so many before. What, well, I mean, I maybe mean, you should honor that. I can't help it. You know, I'm like the colonel. <laughs> I'm the colonel in Boogie Nights, baby, but like... It makes me feel a lot better because when I went and pissed earlier and I looked in the trash can and there's tampons in there. 
That was mine. Yeah, I thought it was. That's, My ass was bleeding. Well, that's not. Mm. But a lot of people think Chandler has daddy issues, and that's not true. I, th- I feel uh, like it's actually her uncle. I'm uncomfortable. Hello. I wonder when you start forcing a conversation and then I got to remember you're trying to do a joke. Well, I was trying, but you interrupted. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing with casting. And and, and I'm glad you're here on this. Like, uh, I'm a huge wrestling fan, uh, especially from when Hulk Hogan was in his prime. And, uh, you know, like an iconic match in Hulk Hogan's life, other than the Iron Sheik. Oh. Which is when he won the belt. But... The one, the match that really put him over the top was in WrestleMania three, when he body slammed Andre the Giant, and he said right before that, Andre uh, whispered into his ear, "Let's take it home. I'm giving you the torch," and that was such an iconic uh, moment in his life. Who plays Andre the Giant? Like you need a guy who was. I mean, I know it's CGI. Well, I think that you got to have some like the big show or i mean right like yeah i mean that's uh you know andre the giant was legit i think seven i mean two seven three they might have fudged a little bit on his height but he was over seven feet all those guys too like that that are tall like that that are huge like they don't they don't live very long either well and andre the giants uh life was that documentary did you see the hbo i didn't it, it was really sad like the minute his body started breaking down the wwf just said beat it We're, here's our new guy hogan and then when hogan started like diminishing they brought in the ultimate warrior which didn't work but you know and then warrior was like all right you're gone we'll get uh owen hart and then he died young too the warrior he lived in santa fe i would I was, see him at the gym sometimes uh he's my favorite of all time yeah uh cool guy well, he was the only one really to stand up to Vince McMahon. He, like he's, he might say he was wrong in some of the ways he did it, but there's the famous. Uh, I just never knew what was real though. Either is that a, a con that they're all doing together? You know, I you don't. Well, with him, I think he was real. Like right. he was warrior in and out of the ring, uh, and I kind of respect that. Like he went rogue, and uh, what was it? I think it was SummerSlam or Survivor Series where he was supposed to wrestle, I believe, Sid Vicious. And, uh, you know, Sid Vicious goes out there, and then Warrior's standing, waiting for his music to play, and he just turns to Vince McMahon, who's in what they call the gorilla position, which is where all the monitors are, and so he can, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, give Direct. feedback. Yeah. Uh, and he looks at Vince and goes, I need $1 million more dollars, or I'm not going out there. And Vince had to give it to him, like, how is that a binding contract well i think uh warrior seems like a very persistent guy so i think ben, he got the money and then the <laughs> wwf cut him like yeah like, get the fuck out of here i like guys like that who stick up you, you know i mean i don't know to do it on the day like that doesn't seem not right. even on the day but on the right righteous like, to me you know it's like i don't know well it's like you- i understand that you're increasing your leverage point but there's something about saying that I'll do this job and, and, and the job is built. I mean, it's like the, the pay scale in that job is, is the protocol that it is, you know, by the I mean, way, uh, we have one minute left on the Instagram live. Oh, That's shit. how long we've gone. Tate Fletcher. Well, how long is that? What's the Instagram uh, this live? Is like, an hour? I think it's like 50 minutes to an hour. So, uh, well, Thank you all. It was really great to be here. At, at Tate Fletcher on everything. Twitter. At Tate Fletcher on everything and Caveman Coffee. Yes. And uh, you can go ahead and see me on Waco right now. 
or you can, which is on Netflix. Uh, what else is on right now? Mandalorian is on on Disney Plus. Um, and uh, Westworld. Uh, if you Westworld go back a is bit, HBO. And, yeah. Uh, we're going to uh, finish up on Apple Podcasts. So you got to listen to the rest, guys. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you, Instagram Live. It's like a little teaser. Um, <laughs> it's a fifty-minute teaser. But like, it, but so I, I guess the big show would play Andre the Giant. Um, but there's also every. I other- wonder. I mean, who else is? I mean, there maybe there's somebody else. We some unknown. We don't know yet. You know. I mean, uh, maybe. Well, the great Kali. Who? It would have to be a big basketball player, maybe. I mean, the great Kali is that Indian guy. Yeah, Dar- uh, Darjeep. But he doesn't look like uh, under the giant. I mean, no, I not at all. Like but you could there. do stuff with him. I mean, but I don't know if he's still healthy. He was in the longest yard with me. Right. Uh, I mean, he'd be about the only other guy, and he was too. He's too muscular, I think. To play he's so him. ripped. I mean, uh, last time I saw him, he was fucking shredded. But you know, you. you he's one of those guys too. Seven feet tall and four hundred pounds, and like 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 tissue paper skin almost. And you'd have to find uh, someone to play Ultimate Warrior, but he was a small, not smaller guy. He was smaller in terms of height, but six feet tall or five eleven or something like that, maybe. Well, I met him once, uh, and it was a religious experience. Really, he's a very terse man. Like he was. Well, there's well, very a very stern, serious kind of. I lucked out because there was at the time a record shop on Sunset. It was, it was a very bizarre autograph signing, uh, where it was at this record shop. And uh, I guess his manager at the time owned the record shop. So they had an Ultimate Warrior signing. And, uh, of course, I'm, like, last in line out of, like, 200, 300 people. Uh, and my buddy at the time was his entertainment lawyer. And he said, Earl, you don't really want to meet him. He can be kind of prickly. and you know, Don't don't get your heroes ruined kind absolutely. of thing. Yeah. And I said, fuck it. When am I ever going to be in a room with the Ultimate Warrior again? And I waited. I'm last in line. They're closing up. They lead me up this stairs, mm. curtain blocking the stairs. He's in full makeup, full like the arm tassels, and I, I've never been so starstruck in my life. It's quite a scene to come out to that. I mean, that's like got to be a vision. It was like meeting Superman. Yeah, and he couldn't have been nicer. Really? I was so scared. I was just looking at his boots. And he would be like, Earl, nice to meet you. Thank you for coming out. Do you want an autograph? I'm like, yes, Mr. Warrior. And I couldn't look at him. I was just, would you like a T-shirt? I'm like, oh, I didn't buy one. I just bought the posters. Like, get this guy a T-shirt. Oh. Thank you, Mr. Warrior. And uh, so, you know, I'm interested. That's so cool. Oh, it was. It made me, uh, you know, a bigger fan. But I've met some people I admire that, you know, weren't the the nicest. So, uh, like you said, don't meet your heroes. It might, uh, you know, though, it's like the guys that think about it, right? Like going around, you know, I, I used to bodyguard Joe. And one of the things he said, I remember we were at Mohegan Sun. It's for UFC. And there's random people. There's nothing like it. It, it got to be. Uh, but there's, you know, random, random people come up and inter- interject at dinner or wherever. And, and, uh, and I'm just excited. I mean, it's just, I'm seeing a whole different world than I've ever seen. And, and I go, does it ever get uh, old to you though? Or like, does it feel like, you know, an imposition? Like you, you're fucking nice to every, like he really is. He dude, he's so fucking kind to everybody that comes up in the most inconvenient places where it's like, this rude that they're coming up right now. He fucking is gracious every fucking time. I, and, and I was like, does it ever, he goes, Bro, he goes, I love to be able to perform for what I do. He says, what I get paid to do is to interact with the public. This is the only time they maybe, you know, it's just, it's what it is, man. And, and, um, 
And he's like that at the And I'm grateful store. to do it. And he's like that everywhere, you know? And that's, that's just mindset. It's like how people decide they're going to be, you know, I think at some point people go, what do I want to leave people with? Do I want to, you know, leave them better or worse than I came? It's just like that thing about the park in, in all the national parks where it says, you know, leave, leave only footsteps and take only memories. And it's like, it's like, we should do that with the folks that we meet in life is, you know, leave goodness there. It's like, why, why do we leave a public bathroom wrecked? Why, why, why don't we leave everywhere a little better, you know, and, and leave people a little better. And, and really it was really interesting. I, it's just interesting talking about it right now. It's just dawning on me to reflect back. Like Joe really instilled that in me in a lot of ways. Like it's really an amazing way to, and until you're under the pressures of having all those people come, you don't know how you'll fucking deal with that. Like, no, it's really funny, man. Well, it's also like, uh, I'm assuming you were his, um, I guess you'd say bodyguard because people are, you get the 5% of the fans who are, uh, it's, it's, you. it's really just so I'm the guy that's the buffer. That's like, no, we got to go. We got to go. And I, I can, he, and he doesn't have to be the guy that does that. Right. It's like, that was most of what the job was. But and I mean, I'm sure I, I can only imagine just cause Joe's very open with his, uh, fitness and jujitsu and, and his MMA abilities that you get that one dick. Like, oh, you think you're tough Rogan, Mr. UFC, uh, Let's see it. Like he's so daft at dealing with people, though. I mean, I, he's and and also capable. And thank goodness that he's so uh, marketed as being capable that not a lot of people want. It. And also, it's ridiculous. It's like I'm not going to be drawn into a fucking fight with you, dummy. Like, not you know. Also, financially, it's just like, not around people like that. Doesn't make any sense on any level. Stop it. Stop. He's got, Go like, train jujitsu. Take care of your ego, silly. Right. But I mean, you know, I know a guy that they always want to prove how tough they are. No, let's see how tough Rogan or his bodyguard is. And, you know, Joe can get sued. Uh, it's all that. And that's, I mean, at working in the securities industry for a long time, I'd always have to think of that of how, you know, how are we going to avoid any litigation? Like, I'm not going to blow somebody's nose out or something or leave them disfigured in some way. It's like, once I touch them, I, I need to be in control of them and of their safety. You know, is that that's where I'm trying. That's what you're trying to do anyway, because you're if you work for high level people, fuck, you're inviting a lawsuit if you're interacting. If you if you got to the point where there's physical contact, you've made some errors probably. Well, it must be weird though, especially like if you guys were at a UFC or uh, some kind of MMA function, maybe a jujitsu tournament or something. You figure, well, it, everyone's who's here probably has some level of skill of fighting, like right. It's a little scary. Not at UFC, but at, at jiu-jitsu tournaments for sure. It's probably the most skilled crowd there is, right, at jiu-jitsu tournaments because it's just fans and family of jiu-jitsu guys. Right. I mean, I don't think there's too many people Participants. Who, who go to a jiu-jitsu tournament who aren't uh, on some level a practitioner. Skilled, yeah. it's so, and That's right. It's uh, And it's so great in that way because it, it takes care of a lot of that silliness. Well, what are we doing now? Now we're going on Facebook Live. God I mean, I'm damn. a one-man operation, bro. I mean... right. Well, I'm trying. Why do we got man. spotlights on? Is it we need it, huh? I'm trying. I'm I don't getting know what sponsored I'm... by Dita, so the sunglasses. I wish go I was sponsored on. by Dita. And Dita. also because you've got this micro flashlight pointed at me. Is, right it, now. Uh, is something going Oh, shit. It's, uh, it's, hold on. Sorry about that. It's I mean, all right. This is, but this is what happens when you're one man operation. Like, you don't. Well, I admire the. Uh, I'm trying, man. I don't know what's I admire going the hustle. Uh, 300 episodes. That's a steady go. I, I mean, stopped my pirate life podcast. I just couldn't do it. You know, I hurt myself last year. And so I just haven't really been able to get it together to have much ambition to do that. Well, I think I enjoy doing this still. Mm -hmm. uh, and frankly, it's a, uh, 
it's a great way to get fans like you know who don't know who i am which is most people how's that working uh i have like a cult uh following i guess you'd say uh you guys got a handshake or anything or the earl of maniacs or earl maniacs they call earl them of, it's like hulk of maniacs earl now you've got the earl of maniacs now is earl one word or are there hyphens involved it's e-a-r-l-a maniacs all one word i would do it e-a-r-l hyphen a hyphen maniacs i'm doing what i can tate i just gave you a better way to do it though well, this might be the last episode, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but, Do you have an Earl of Maniac t-shirt I could get? I have no merchandise. Uh, That's I, weird. I don't want to be that comic who sells merch. I who, feel like nobody you're leaving, knows who they are. I feel like you're leaving money on the table. Well, I'm not in this business for money. I enjoy doing comedy. It, it, what's, it's called business. No, you're right. Show business. Well, it has a connotation of money in it, right? You just said, I'm not in this business for money, but you're. I genuinely, genuinely. You don't charge for your services because you dig it. I don't. For this podcast, to be honest with you, 300 episodes in, I've never made a dollar. Other than my uh, Mike Knuckles by Stephen Pearson. I like those a lot. Uh, so Does he use those when he sings? He does. Yeah. And if you watch the new Geico commercial, he has a pair on. Has he ever laid it on somebody? I don't think at this point of his life, the singer from Rats looking to get into too many fights. How big is he? I'm going to wait, wait. He's five, six, and he's 148 pounds. I would say he's probably about 5'10". Okay. And he's uh, then if he's 5'10", he's 148 pounds. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, the biggest guy in Rat is... Drummer? No, unfortunately, is the guy who died of AIDS. Uh, Warren D. Martini? No, the other guitar player. You talk about a guy with money. Robin Crosby is my favorite. Uh, of course, I always like the ones who die. My favorite guy in the village. Why, of course. People. Well, it's like my favorite guy in the village people was the leather guy, Glenn Hughes. He died. Uh, How's that your favorite guy? How? I just like the way he looked. Big. He was bigger than everyone else. He was like. So you admired the guys in, in that sang the YMCA, the village people. Yeah. And so those. those How old are you? Uh, Forty-eight. Okay, I'm 51. So, I, so I, 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 yeah, I guess I just missed that because they were just. I remember the village people, but I guess I was. I think I was too little to think of like. Well, they had a short run, but for about one year, they were the biggest band in the world. Yeah, that was around crazy. Dorothy Hamill, right? Dorothy yep. Hamill times the, the figure skater. That was. Is it '78? Yeah, no, something like were, that. Well, they were. It's funny. They were on the same record label as Kiss, Cosmo and that's when Lama, Star Wars came out. Donna Summer. Uh, I would say their their prime was probably at 78 to 79. Mm -hmm. And then they do one bad movie with Bruce Jenner at the time, Bruce Jenner. Uh, does Bruce Jenner exist still? Called Can't Stop the Music, which was... Or does Bruce Jenner cease to exist when Caitlyn Jenner begins? Do you I know mean, the protocol for that? I don't want to get in trouble... Well, we wouldn't want to start controversy. No, no. I'm to me, and this is just how. If I'd I, have told you twenty years ago that there were going to be other genders than male and female, you would have probably thought I was nuts. I mean, it's, but now look at us. I told you so. As long as he has his pee pee, he's Bruce Jenner to me. Does he or not? I don't know. But like uh, my one friend, uh, Fifi Dosh, who's a transsexual. Uh, he's uh, tr he's transitioning. 
Uh, Does he like to be called he like what you no, just did? She, or he, okay, so let's not uh, make that mistake. It's a habit. Like when she first told me, I understand. I have a friend Angus that's the same way. That used to be a Bernadette. That, and it's it's troubling for me because Bernadette was my best friend. We lived together and all that. And so like sometimes I still go, hey B, and then I'm like fuck. But we're all learning. I guess we do the best we can. You know. Shout out to a chiropractic superstar, uh, Drew and Hugh Gordon. They are chiming in. Uh, God, thank you guys so much for all the chiropractic. I need to get my head adjusted because when I got knocked out last year, they said maybe your inner ear got, you can do a chiropractic adjustment for the inner ear. Are you hip to that? Well, when the Gordon brothers come back to LA, they're t- they took a sabbatical to Florida. We'll all get you in touch. Uh, Fantastic. Let's get back to the village people. Do you know, do you know only one of them was gay in real life? What about Luis Smolka, the last samurai? Now we're watching a UFC prelims on right now. Uh, These guys look like they're twelve. So let's get back to acting for a second. Okay. And then we're gonna watch. Uh, you know. Well, let's segue. Go ahead. Let's not talk about it. Let's make it easy. Do this thing. Well, I mean, we talk about Hulk Hogan casting. Uh, you know, I could see as a wrestler, maybe uh, Hillbilly Jim. Uh, you know, Hulk Hogan had a program with him. Okay. Uh, so, you know, call your agent, get get on board. Uh, how cool was it to be in The Mandalorian? My heart blew out of my chest when uh, Chandler's like, let's watch The Mandalorian. I'm a Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Chewbacca guy, but I, I always no, like Chandler. Both. What did Chandler know about? Because she wasn't born at a time when she could have appreciated the first star Wars the way we did. Well, she, right. Uh, I mean, like, well, I don't no, know how, right. I don't know how younger kids are exposed to star Wars, but for when I got exposed to star Wars as a seven year old or whatever, it was fucking mind bending. I mean, and to think that it still stands up, you know, that's made with miniatures. It's not CG. It's not any of the bullshit. And it's, it's like, a, it's crazy. Good. It's the, so good. The potato, the, uh, asteroid fields were potatoes. Uh, I prefer the first three over first three just because uh, I'm a first three guy myself. There was a charm about them. Yep. Uh, and Darth Vader. And there was a cohesiveness. Yeah. I, you know, I saw the uh, last, uh, the uh, rise of Skywalker and uh, it, it just seemed like they, it was like that guns and roses CD Chinese uh, democracy where they, you could tell that album was 20 guitar players, t- f- you know, 18 drummers. It was very disjointed. You could tell each song. I never even knew that Chinese Democracy actually came out. That was the first album. It was a thing that got dick teased for like 15 years. Right. And it finally came out. It did. And it was just very much Axl Rose and almost every song was a different set of musicians. That's what the Rise of Skywalker felt to me. It was like, well, we didn't use this. We got to placate the older fans. So we'll put Chewbacca in this. And, and we'll Lando Calrissian, even though he, he doesn't really have a lot to do with the storyline, we'll jam him in there. And and then uh, Chewbacca, you know, uh, I think they did an early test screening of Chewbacca dying. Uh, and then... Nobody the, wants that. The fans went nuts. And yeah. so then they shoehorned it where, you know, when Chewbacca went on the ship and it blew up, he was on another ship. That if you watch that scene, there was no other ship. Mm-hmm. And I realize I'm overanalyzing a fake movie, but it's like they did stuff like that where it's like, no, it's a real movie. Well, I, I got into this discussion with Tom Segura and Christina Pazitsky and what they what about they wrestling say. being fake. Oh, that's a that's a layered, nuanced conversation. Oh, absolutely. We can, we don't have to get into that now. But like, uh, that was my point of you know. Uh, cause he caused quite a bit of ruckus uh, with, uh, 
his opinion on wrestling and if it's real and and whatnot. And I, I think me, Tony Hinchcliffe, Ron Funches, and Steve Simone were brought on in our own individual segments to go, no, it's not fake. It's it's uh I was like, dude, you still watch the movie Predator. You think there's an actual alien? Well, that's killing? that's what's clear when I I only went once Monday night here in LA and it was fucking amazing man it was phenomenal to go to see and and i talked to a friend i saw a friend skylar astin's across the way uh there's you know there's it's crazy the amount of uh, ct fletcher was there sitting next to me it was really wild but it's like a it's like a low i don't know like a lowbrow theater or something it's like this that you're really engaged in and then the the audience is another actor almost within it and fuck man it was fantastic dude it was the most fun i'd had in a long time but I was like, I don't think it's fake. And then it, you, we got Well, it. no, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's you talk scripted. about those guys. You watch the big show go up onto the third rung of the uh, uh, turnbuckle and and go to jump on a guy's um, shoulders and, and then flip. Out. Like, it's fucking highly acrobatic with huge fucking men. Like, it's crazy. I so mean, as far as real, like, it's real. I mean... But then I asked those guys, I go, how choreographed are you when you go out? You know, do you there. like clearly like you rehearse this? And he's like, we rehearse a bunch of moves that we all know. And then we know where it ends up at the end. But we figure it out in the midst of it. And you think about what kind of a unity and togetherness that is to create that result. It's fucking beautiful, man. What an art form. Well, I think. Uh, and then did you see what Tony Tony showed the wrestling show there? You were there. I was there. But. uh What's his name? David that fucking worked. Holy shit, how good is he? He's really gotten into I don't know if I'd say he's quit acting and got into pro wrestling. He's fantastic, time, but, bro. Well, he got he's a fan, so I think he respects the business. He's more than a fan because he's attuned his instrument. I mean, he's really fucking skilled. He's athletic as fuck and and he's into the as an actor, like his performance is incredible. I, I was what a treat to see that. That was fantastic. Well, it's funny you say acting because I think that the the wrestlers of our era, you know, Piper, Hogan, Warrior, uh, Big John Studd. I mean, we can name a thousand are better actors than the guys who do it now. Because I mm. don't believe what they do now. Right. Like obviously, I know it's scripted. What about the girls? The girls' storyline is way different. The girls, uh, obviously, Charlotte Flair is dad is Rick. She comes from a wrestling pedigree. To me, they look like fitness models who are doing choreographed moves uh what about the girl that was doing anal with all the sex toys and all those videos went viral well that's another video that's another podcast i don't i think it i think it's interesting that she like maintained a career like that i thought that was beautiful that that stuff was able to be out and she wasn't like ridiculed to the point of oblivion which would have happened maybe 10 years ago with this culture well, uh, there are some people who have done porn who went mainstream, but uh, you know it's few and far between. That's not. We're not going to call. It, is it, would you call that porn? I I don't watch porn. Uh, I mean, because that's inter wasn't the stuff I saw was an interaction between her and her boyfriend or something. And maybe he sent, I don't know what happened exactly. Well, I, I don't know why I was privy to these videos. I, I, you must be talking about something else. I didn't see. Like, but Seth Rollins said he had some dirty pictures leaked mm. and it certainly hasn't uh, hurt his career. Uh, I just, I don't really watch it today. I just, I, I think we, I, I sound old saying this, but I really believe that what we saw in our generation was so much better than, you know, now it's just, uh, they rush the storylines and, and, you know, like back in the day, like when Hogan fought Sting. You couldn't walk out with a sock puppet on your hand. 
stuff like that and uh although uh mankind cactus jack he's he's suffered some crazy injuries uh you know uh i don't know i think the internet ruined wrestling for me how's that well i you know i've told the story a thousand times on the podcast and it's a joke i do it, it's like I thought wrestling was real till I met Kamala backstage, and you know he told me his name was Jim and he's from Mississippi, and I'm like, oh, I really it's thought weird he was- that he it's weird that he let the veil down like that. Well, I really thought he was from uh, Uganda because there was no internet. I couldn't in 1980, uh, you know, Google or, or Wikipedia James Kamala Harris, and which is funny that he has the same name as the politician. Uh, and go, oh, he's from Hattiesboro, Mississippi. Uh, oh, he's not from Uganda. And Abdullah the Butcher, and I have my Abdullah the Butcher doll right over there. Look over there, just to the left. That's the okay. I I really thought Abdullah the Butcher was from the Sudan, and he was from he was just some mad. He's man. from Pennsylvania. Turns out his name is Larry, and he's from Windsor, Ontario. <laughs> so it it's ruined it uh, in that regard. You know what it ruined ruined that for me was when I found out. It was a loyalty issue for me when I found out that the Detroit Red Wings were not comprised of Michigan natives. I was out. Well, yeah. If you were to have an NHL team with just people from Michigan, like- it, it seemed to mean something to me. And as I grew up and thought about justice, that's what I thought would be righteous. And then I was like, it's not that way at all. And a lot of them, not even Americans. Well, I like uh, my favorite story in those veins is uh, Brett Hall, who was Canadian, uh, born Canadian. He got he didn't make the Canadian uh, Olympic team, and he was pissed. And he's like, "Oh, okay, you guys don't want me. Well, I'm going to get an American citizenship, and I'm going to play for Team USA." And then they won the World Cup with with him, who should have been with the Canadians. It's amazing. Uh, so let, let, before we wrap up. When you did the Mandalorian, yeah, was there any feeling on the set of this is going to be big? Oh yeah, like how do you know? Like I, I, <laughs> when they say it's George Lucas's Star Wars, they, I mean when you get those emails, it's like it's fucking crazy, bro. And then <clears throat> so I played two roles, played the opening scene, which was phenomenal. Like that to to have that whole scene be pivoted off of me. I was, I'd never really been in that position before. And it was fucking great. I get to speak another language on the whole thing. But then I, you know, I'd gotten called. I knew I was going to do another job besides just that. And, uh, that I was being suited for this heavy Mando, which came to be. Um, and that was a whole nother thing. And then Favreau was, was a heavy Mando in the animated series. And so he wanted to do that, but, uh, wasn't, able to on the scene for the show. And so he did the voiceover for that character that I played physically. Well, they really should have called me in for that role. I mean, and for your voice. I mean, I'm very fucking jelly, but now I'm trying to get work on this podcast. Uh, Waco. Waco. You were from the Earl Skakel school of acting there. You were in like eight, <laughs> eight episodes and had one line, very similar Amazing. to my, I'm Amazing. dying up here role. What was my line? They asked you if you drank. Okay. And I'm not going to lie to you. It, what uh, they, they should fire the boom operator on that scene because for me it was a little inaudible. There's mumbles. Was that the line? I don't well, know. It's something like, no, I didn't. or It was very quick. Right. Uh, kind of like my uh, line in Benchwarmers when I opened up the porta potty door and said, hey, who did this? And I haven't seen Benchwarmers. Black guy did the voiceover. 
Seriously. Tough business. One line. You think they would have kept my voice in? God damn. Uh, like, uh, Waco, was it fun? Was it exhausting? Oh man, it's cool and it's it's a trip to see it because being on that show was interesting because the the FBI um interrogator, the he was there that was at Waco at the scene, was also on our film. He was um one of the advisors. And then also one of the advisors was a guy that was played by Rory Culkin. And Rory played. He was uh, amazing. The drummer, right? Okay, so you know the character. I mean, and so that guy was also on this on the scene. And um, it's weird because you're around that FBI guy. You're around a cop. Like that's a Fed for a long. Like, and he's retired for a long time now. But you're around a cop. Like it's who was there. Yeah, he's like full. He brings all the tension, right? And um, and a cool guy, nice guy, and all that. But just about his shit and. And then there's this guy that, you know, he'd, he'd fled from the fires and, and, um, he was there and he's, you know, I don't know, a shorter guy that's like, you know, suffering from obesity, like he's 400 pounds or something like that. Not in a good way, five, six or something. And, 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 and he suffered from this as a survivor, I think in ways that, so anyway, that whole, it was a trip. It was a trip to be around and to be able to behold that in America. For me, as an American, I was at an age when that all was going on and militias were coming up. People were trying to teach people how to hunt deer, how to uh, you know secede from the nation, like how to be sovereign, how to do your taxes better, how to really administer your your um, the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and all that. And that's what militias were back then. And then the Randy Reaver stuff happened. I'd never heard of a white uh, separatist. That term didn't exist before then, but that's when it came up. They called Randy Weaver, who was a, I think he was a force recon Marine or some spec ops guy from Virginia or somewhere. And he just wanted to move with his family and live after he got out of the service. And, and then, so they called him a white separatist. He didn't have any, uh, racial, uh, ten, like there was no groups he was aligned with. There was none of that kind of stuff. It was just him and his family. They go up, they murder his family. Right. And then William free of the FBI that was the head of that thing. They had to get out from under it. Bill Clinton's going to take away all the funding from that. All that shit was going on. ATF was about to be defunded. And then they go, Oh shit, here's this crazy guy in Waco. And a thing that they could have just knocked, uh, did, did a knock and serve warrant. And the sheriff suggested that the feds are like, we got this. And they go in there with tanks and shit and they kill a couple dogs right when they came up, they come up in full battle. But I mean, we watched it unfold on TV over all those days. It was fucking crazy in America. And then Oklahoma city after happened after that. And then it was the complete vilification of anything with the militia. And that got shut out of the conversation in America. I mean, to me, all this stuff, that I've been watching since I'm a little kid is a continuation of the escalation of power and control that the government is trying to extol over its citizens. It was the first time in American history and it's unconstitutional to put a militarized force against its citizens. And Waco is where the government busted that cherry against its citizens. So it was an interesting thing for me to be a part of because I had a lot of feelings about it in all the ways. And then I also think as an aside, which is interesting, is that Bradley Branch, it's just like these kids, right? Kill 23 people in a church, kill all these people in a school. Man, do you have enough water, sir? Are you okay? Like everybody treats them with, with kid gloves. But this guy for forging a check or if he even did, like, it's like we murder people for that. Brad Branch murdered federal agents. He gunned them up. And he's free today, which is a trip, right? Like 
we don't, it, it's like the discrepancy of the way we treat people is phenomenal in this country. And I'm sorry that I keep coming back to this broken record, but holy fuck, I can't get it out of my head. I mean, it's, uh, no, don't apologize at all. It's, you know. Anyway, a lot of stuff I just reflect on. And then we sit and we wait. And I think, you know, you, you, you keep your breath going and you watch your breath in times like this and you see where the world turns out. Because maybe you as a comic or somebody as a, a bartender or as a, a physical trainer, a coach somewhere, you're maybe not going to want to do that in the world that comes up. Because now we're, we're not going to be in places together. It seems like they're making all these infringements on the quality of our lives. And, uh, and so now I'm just kind of waiting going, well, what are they going to allow us to make money on? Cause it seems like a crazy thing where I'm not allowed to make an income like that. That's been taken from me for something that has a very small, uh, result as far as killing people in, in the country. It's not nearly what the PR made it out to be. Yeah. That always seems like there's uh two, several sets of standards for, it doesn't feel like we're not being attacked. Yeah. I'll say that. Brad Brancher's black. It'd be a different story, baby. That's a wrap. Either be dead or. I can't believe that they burned up like 80 people. That's crazy. I kind of forgot the story. Like, uh, so to. All they were doing was they were buying up weapons at like gun, uh, gun shows and shit. Right. And so they, they had all these, the ATF had all these numbers of this, these people at this address, um, with all these guns. So it looked like they were stockpiling guns. But what about but, the underage but, stuff? But it's layered. So they would they would they would take the guns and they would resell them. So they didn't have a stockpile of guns. They had a bunch of guns and they would make money for their commune by buying and selling guns. That was part of what they did. And so what they were going to go up and do the knock on the door for was to go, hey man, we need to check all these guns, make sure they're kept safe, make sure the records are good. And that was it. It was a regular citizen's check. But they come in with helicopters and tanks. So, and, and about the kids stuff, the way that all got layered up was like, he was like any of these crazy, I'm not trying to say that David Koresh was a good guy, uh, a cult leader. And he talked these simps in out of their wives and would say, that's my wife now. And he'd have babies with them and shit. And then I think one of his wives, he did their younger sister or something like that. There was a girl that was like 15 that he'd impregnated and then unless she was married to somebody, then that, that would be the legal legalese by, through which they would get him. But if she were married to somebody, it would be or something like that. And so it was like that kind of thing they were coming in. But it's like, I mean, it's like, it's like the thing about saying, well, you shouldn't run from the police and they wouldn't shoot you. It's like, like it doesn't warrant you burning down, you know, 70, 80 men, women, and children. Like that's fucking asinine. But then there's some discussion about who did start that fire. And well, yeah, uh, the the FBI said they didn't use incendiary mm -hmm. devices, and I guess a few of the witnesses who got out were like, "No, they were incendiary." Uh, right. And even if you see a flashbang or something like that, go. I mean, that can light a curtain on fire. I would think. I mean, all that spark and all that, you know. I mean, it's not it's not zero energy. You're putting energy into the room when you're throwing bombs into a room. I mean, fuck. What else uh, can you talk about? Uh, what's coming out next to the fan? The Earlomaniacs can become. Earlomaniacs can start looking for a, a Jamie Foxx show. I think we're going to call it Power. I'm not sure on the final name yet, but that ought to be a uh, Netflix release. Maybe in November, I think they'll be finished with it. I'm not sure. It depends. You know, a lot of this stuff coming up, like. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the, the other thing is, is even if you opened up fully right now, how would you, I mean. 
You, you've already got such bad PR. People aren't going to want to go out. Even if we opened up fully right now, people would limit to the amount that they went out and you're not going to be able to make your money anyway. I mean, it's like, it's a hard press we're in. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I think um, it's time yeah. to draw it all in and wait and breathe and focus on where you can be helpful and try to look at the subtext. Hollywood's on hold. Like me and Chandler love uh, the show on TNT, Animal Kingdom, mm -hmm. and I think they uh, the new season they they were filming. I think they got three or four episodes in. Uh, now what? Yeah, I was in a dope in this Jay Z produced show, this cowboy show, and they stopped production. Right? I mean, we were just we we're balls deep in it. Um, Nobody knows. So we hope hope to come back to that pretty soon, um, and making some of our own content, which will be coming out in the next little bit. Tate, but where I'll can let people you find you on social media? Find me at Tate Fletcher and uh, Caveman Coffee. That's it. Caveman Coffee. I just drank a full can of hibiscus tea. I was telling Tate for years, uh, for the non-coffee drinkers, come up with something good. They have Caveman Coffee. Tate Fletcher's one of the best. Thanks uh, to the Earl of Maniacs for bringing that hibiscus tea to light. I didn't even know we needed it until Earl got in my ear. So. Waco was funny. It was almost like an interactive show for me and Chandler to watch because we were rooting for you. in that one scene where you were shooting and you were moving rooms, it's like, oh, man, this is a scene where he gets it. Like, there's no way in. You like, it was like, it was fun to know someone. And like, it was weird. Kind of gay, but love uh, you, buddy. I love you, dude, and uh, thank you. You're, uh, you have a open invitation to come on the couch. Well, UFC. I'm super excited that the UFC's on. Yeah, I mean, please, I, no, yeah, no need I'm to ready. leave. But I'm going to end this podcast. Yeah, why don't you get me some food? Inappropriate Earl, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud. You can see me on an episode of Your Mom's House with Tom Segura, Christina Pazitsky. Uh, I think it was Wednesday, so check that out. And I love you all. <laughs> <laughs>